Hi there, this is Terry, and welcome to another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Today I'm chatting with animation director and studio co-owner Mike Owens about his pursuit and success of creating his own show about an egg and how it ended up winning an Emmy. But going back, Mike is going to chat about how Columbia College Chicago opened his eyes to the world of animation and how he ended up becoming lead animator for Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain and Hysteria pretty much right out of college. Then he's going to chat about how it took six years of sticking with his show idea to get it on Amazon Prime and what it was like working with hundreds of people from all over the world to get it made. And finally, his path to starting his own studio so he could pretty much just work from home on his own time. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into the chat. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Mike. How are you doing over there in Minnesota? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Terry. Um, yeah, watching it snow periodically. Um, oh, no way. It's also periodically snowing here, so we must huh. be in the same, the same snow drift. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thanks for coming on the podcast. I do want to talk all about your experience in animation and directing, but, you know, I always I always start this chat off the same way, and where did you catch the bug to get into catch the industry? The bug. Um, good question. Um, for me, it was uh, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Uh, a combination, like the things that I just watched that I was drawn to, um, Tom and Jerry, Droopy, the Flintstones, um, the Bugs Bunny, oh, and then, stuff. yeah, yeah, just like, you know, everything came on while I was waiting for the, you know, for school to start in the morning, I'd get up super early with my blanket, um, watch my cartoons, and there's just something about the, um, how you know the how stuck and like how is this happening how do they make these things got into my head at some point once i got out of the uh this is just fun to watch thing um like why am i laughing at drawings and there was one animation book in my public library in my hometown on animation um and then i started and yeah i started putting those that's the only resource i could ever find on it like it was you know of course pre-internet and all that stuff uh yeah so you didn't have very much exposure to the animation craft as it was. What made you, as you were, I guess, transitioning from child to adult uh -huh. and exploring, you know, career opportunities uh, with minimal, I guess, influence, influences and resources, what made you say, you know what, I'm going to become an animator and do that as my career? Yeah, I said that earlier than I should have, like, having no resources and having no, you know, living in a place where there's no way that would be a career um, in, over in small town in Pennsylvania. Um, but uh, the more I learned about, I was, the more I got fascinated with the craft of it from um, at that time, like even by the time I was in high school, that's when Disney was at its peak doing, you know, when they were doing uh, Aladdin and um, Little Mermaid and all that kind of stuff. And so all these like behind the scenes books started coming out, like those making of books, um, we're starting to become a thing, you know, you know, I discovered the illusion of life book at that point, of course, and like the how to draw cartoons, little flat, cheap book you can get in an art store. Um, and uh, I kind of, it sort of ended up becoming an identity for me. It was like, Mike's the guy who's totally into cartoons. So yeah. it was like, uh, I guess I'll own that and lean into that. Um, but there was pure fascination. I mean, I grew up in a fairly creative family. My sister's a painter. My sister's a dancer. Uh, my mom is a nurse, but also um, pretty artistic. Taught, did like a lot of crafty stuff at home. Um, my dad's super funny and has awesome taste in music. So there was, we were kind of the weird family, I guess. 
in that sense that like you know we didn't like what everyone else liked a little bit um so there was encouragement behind you know i want to do an art career it wasn't like uh get a real job you bum um, yeah. because my sister was already out in the world you know uh doing painting as her thing um so it wasn't foreign to my parents so i think having encouragement um for such a weird unrealistic goal <laughs> at an early age was good Nice, nice. So how did you actually go from having this goal to, you know, studying the craft and getting uh, your first break? Yeah, um, I I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. Um, I I was actually supposed to, um, when everyone graduated, we graduated from high school, all my friends like worked at the beach in the summer. I tried to get an internship at an animation studio in Pittsburgh. That didn't work out. Um, but I, I just went to school, to, I went to Penn State University and I started studying fine art, um, film theory, uh, and just general study stuff, just English math classes, just um, read more than I ever, like, you know, took literature classes just because I realized, like, I wasted a lot of time in high school and I had a lot to learn. Um, so I, they had, like, an Oxbury camera at Penn State. They had one teacher who kind of knew how to use it. Um, they had one animation class that did like scratch on film and, you know, just scratching the emulsion off of film. And by that point, my my uh, dreams were getting bigger and I could see like it wasn't going to go much further here at, at Penn State. So yeah. uh, in the back of that book, the Shamos Kick Colhane book, the one book that was in my hometown library, uh, Animation from Script to Screen, um, it's the name of the book. Uh, had Columbia College as one of the possible schools to go to, like Sheridan, Columbia College, CalArts. That was like it. And so I, my sister was going to graduate school in Chicago at the time. She found out if it was still real, <laughs> like because <laughs> the book was old. Uh, and I found out they had a pretty good animation program. Um, and so I dropped out of, I transferred from Penn State to Columbia College in Chicago, um, packed up a truck, moved um, to Chicago and uh finished my degree there terrifying uh chicago is a very terrifying city if you're not used to big cities okay um, uh so there was it was a it was good in many ways observing life outside of my own town to add to what i do um but i went from like campus life to like you're gonna ride the subway to school and you're gonna you know um so you were basically just yeah. all in for animation at that point I, like I've, you didn't yeah. have any hesitations you're like i'm gonna drop out of this current college, move to a different city, pack yeah, up all I, my belongings. I hesitations and, and fears, um, but uh, there was sort of this uh, jump into it, jump into the deep end sort of approach. It was deeply rooted in me, but like not outwardly. I was, you know, pretty um, not that bold adventurer on the outside. But my sister was, she was from Trailblazers. They were just like, one was in California and one was in New York and I lived in Italy already. I'm like, oh, so the world's bigger. So like whatever fears I had about that, I was like, this is just part of it. Just just bite your lip, get through it uh, <laughs> and live in the city. So because the drive to do animation was always there and it was, we got to that like whatever at any cost. Um, and then it became sort of following, when it started paying off, um, the filing out of the school was pretty good. Um, they were still trying, they just started transitioning into digital at the time. So I was still shooting on Oxberries and still animating on paper, which I'm still a big fan of because I feel like it gave me really solid foundation skills. Um, Cause you don't have the forgiveness of constant undos and 
you know, real-time playback and all that, like using exposure sheets. So I learned sort of old school ways that I've been reading about in this, that one book all this time. Um, but uh, being in that and just being around a few people, like my friend Greg, who's super talented, um, and just being around people that were better than me, uh, being around the environment of people who wanted it as much as I did, and seeing that it was a somewhat of a reality uh, yeah. in me. Um, and there was enough going on in Chicago at the time that I could probably get work. And again, it was also at that time, like I said, when uh, late 90s, mid 90s, when like, you know, uh, they're making The Lion King and they're making, Disney's making a giant feature every year. And like, you read stories of head animators making $100,000 a year at beginning salary. That, of course, all ended when I graduated. Um, but uh, being at Columbia College got me, um, like all the teachers were working professionals. So there's one teacher who was working at a game company and they were doing a pinky in the brain game. Um, and me and my friend Aaron Johnson um, were able to do some freelance work for that teacher, like super low rate, but like, you know, you're drawing in the brain for money. Um, not bad. Uh, and then that got me an internship uh, at a place called Senate in Chicago, which I'm still talking to those guys um, for a summer. And then while I was at the internship, um, because like, you know, their job postings wasn't as much of a thing. It was, you know, it wasn't as resources were still thin. Um, but the guy I was interning with, Scott O'Brien, had heard that this studio called Star Tunes in the suburbs, which I'd heard about working on Tiny Tunes, was now hiring people to work on Animaniacs. Um, so I sort of got an inside tip, I guess, from having like, you know, getting myself into actual studio early let me sort of like get into the community early. Yeah. Um, and so having that sort of one leg up and then having some like actual, like thinking the brain on my reel um, and then having an internship uh, and doing good enough on my class assignments. Um, there's some innate talent there. I mean, it was all, I was still sucked and still had plenty to do, but I seem to have an act enough. Yeah. And that got me the job working on Animaniacs my last semester of college. So you you were pretty much already had your foot in the door in terms of studios while you were in college. Like yes. when you graduated, did you just go immediately to working? Yeah, yeah. I was getting partial credit for working part-time at the studio. Oh, nice. Through Columbia College. So I was going, working part-time, going to school part-time, um, basically getting a like three credits worth for like working at a studio a couple days a week. And with the with the agreement that as soon as I graduated, I'd have a full time job. Oh wow! So, so that was um, what was your role in Animaniacs when you were animating there? Like uh, right? I was the lead animator. You start out Just, as like an yeah, you start out as an in betweener. Um, we were still doing stuff on paper, but we were digital ink and painting. And I in betweened a couple scenes um, for I don't know maybe six months, and then they let me move up to be an animator uh, pretty quick. Um, yeah, it was kind of awesome. Like, that was, uh, okay, there. That is pretty there. awesome. You went yeah. from, like, <laughs> you know, at this other college thinking, this isn't really for me, to yeah. packing up all your stuff, moving, and then becoming lead animator on, like, one yeah. of the biggest kids shows, what I grew up I, with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, something that that's people do, that people could, you know, because that's the thing, is, like, family and people who don't know animation, unless if they don't know what show you worked on, it doesn't yeah. mean as much, unless you're in it. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of just trusting my, like, there's something about this that's fascinating me. I want to learn how to do it. Um, I have to 
change what I know to get there. Um, and so, like, those sacrifices, like, would mean nothing if I didn't take advantage right. of opportunity. Well, was there, was there ever a moment that you felt like you couldn't do it or it was too much or challenging? Like, what you just said were trusting your yourself, like, that resonated with me because when I was in high school, I was, like, doing stop motion and I was like, this uh-huh. is really what I want to do. But I was very hesitant because there was an opportunity. So that's why I went and chose a business career instead. Yeah. And now I'm coming back to this and kind yeah. of leaning, leaning back into myself. So how do you how do you really listen to that inner thing? Uh, it's um, I don't know. Like I I'm okay with discipline of learning. Like I I think you know when you're in high you're in high school. You know if you're like the art person, the person who knows how to draw. If you're in a small town, you know you're like you're, there's yeah. always that small two or three people that are like good at art class. <laughs> you know, and their stuff gets in the glass cabinet all the time. But then you get to I got to Penn State and you're around everyone from every high school that's that person. And suddenly you realize, oh, I'm not that good. Um, and I'm taking this huge leap and this huge risk of taking on a silly career that you know would never take off in Pennsylvania. Um, I need to get better. It was the fear of failing at it. Mm. So like I like went hardcore into figure drawing and like basic drawing studies when I was at Penn State. So when I got to um, Columbia College, like I was, I had done some animation. I was able to skip some classes. I was okay, but then I met all these people that came specifically for animation. So now they're really good. Now I have to catch up to them. Yeah. Um, so I think it's the a bit of the like I need to be better at this, and I need to stop just like relying on my reputation of like I'm a guy who can draw Bugs Bunny funny. Like there's a lot more to this, you know, right, like, the reality right. of it. The the magic wore off, and like like no, you got a lot to learn. Um, and so it was about honing the craft for a long time, um, having a school that support, like had structure to learn the basics of it. Um, I was, you know, I would just go to uh, Borders books and get at the time I could get for 50 cents, you get coffee all day at Borders, which is no longer a thing. Apparently if Borders are a thing, but I would get out all the anatomy books, all the animation books, and I would just draw for them because I couldn't afford to buy them. So in between, like I was making money walking dogs in Chicago um walk dogs with oprah once uh what <laughs> yeah with her like her dogs knew my the dogs that i took care of like they were like you know people live in penthouses dogs so i used to go to the same park as oprah and we'd occasionally hang out so that was cool um that's super cool oh my god <laughs> uh but how are you doing um, all of this at the same time going to school doing internships studying like on top of your stuff walking no dogs. social life no social life i didn't have any i didn't uh go out or do anything for like three years when i moved to chicago i was you know like it was when i like greg and i my friend i mentioned earlier because we worked in the animation office like we would sign out peg bars and it's time to use the pencil tester so we just like uh hung out because we were working at school together uh and drawing together but that was like three years into school like i was just um uh kind of hyper focused um, and I don't know anybody. I have nothing's familiar. So this is what you came here to do. It was sort of a heads down kind of thing. Uh, has that attitude changed for you over the years? <sighs> uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's I'm not as uh, uptight about it. Like I feel like I I still have plenty to learn, but I feel like I have a pretty solid foundation of the craft. Like I can. Um, I can get to the core of a character I'm animating because I'm not blocked by like perspective or drawing good volumes or any of that yeah. kind of stuff. Like 
I put in tons of time, you know, do it being an in-betweener, being an animator, being a cleanup person, like just drawing and drawing and drawing for shows or commercials for so long that um, it's like anything like playing a musical instrument or anything. You just sort of have to go through the motions a bunch till it becomes, you know, you know, drawing. I used to start every day by just drawing freehand circles until I could draw them perfect. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so that I, because like you know, animation always being sort of based on circles and just yeah. like learning to draw with my arm and like all these like craft first um, stuff, which was fun to learn. Like going to anatomy classes and going to sculpting to sculpt anatomy and um, and being around people that thought that was just as cool as I did. You know. What about the leaning into your instinct? part like trusting in yourself do you still has that changed at all for you uh no that's still there like i think it's probably stronger now because it's got me this far i mean i've never lived in la and i've had an entire 20 plus career in, in character-based animation yeah that's awesome so it's sort of uh yeah a little bit of trusting my gut and my instinct and facing sort of the uncertainty um the uh you know um, yeah. take the risk Maybe you can give like a quick overview of some of the highlights of your career that that jump out for you. Oh, uh, sure. Um, uh, I, I wrote a little bit of a list to help me. I hope that's okay. Oh, hey. Um, <laughs> so Are you prepared again, for this? I could go. I might. I might slip in some new ones if they, they come to me. So the the big things was that uh, that first job on Animaniacs because like that you know the whole dream became reality really quick. Um, I'm still like friends with most of those people. That first job, sort of, you know, in the trenches together. Uh, my wife worked at that studio. That's where I met her. Um, she was uh, the only woman director at the studio at the time. Um, and we've and then Greg ended up working there. So it's been uh, talk about Greg a lot in this interview. Um, but that first, that first. <laughs> we'll have job, him on next. I'll just talk about you. How about that? Yeah, it's perfect. Um, but that something about that first job is like like this is a you know. Of this can actually happen. Um, the next highlight was while working in that job, I was um, I volunteered to um, help teach us teach animation at a school in India that they were setting up. So the the uh, at at Startoons, they um, you know we typically any TV show typically you send the bulk of the animation to South Korea or to to China or to the Philippines to get the animation done. Um, one of the background artists at StarTunes was from India, moved back and wanted to start up a studio there. So this school heart animation academy in Hyderabad, India was going to be a training center and then the studio for StarTunes. But they needed someone to teach them like basic 12 principles of animation process that we use at StarTunes. Um, and uh, I was 20 three and at that point i had the confidence because i got this job and like all of this like struggle and like doubt to get this far i was yeah. kind of like, for the first time feeling like uh oh yeah i got this and so i was like i'll do it i'll go to india um i'd never left the country before never been to canada never been you know chicago was like the biggest adventure of my life at that point um but i uh it's like yeah i'll go live there for five months uh and help set up a school uh wendy and i wrote a curriculum on the 12 basic principles, sort of a con conglomeration of um, exercises that we have done and gotten from other teachers or things that we've made up. And I think that first experience of teaching stands out, not only because it was India, and that is a whole fascinating thing, experience, um, but having to teach your craft. I spent all, you spend all those years honing it, and then suddenly you have to explain it. 
Um, and I had 300 students. I taught 150 in the morning and 150, and there was three languages to deal with. Um, he had interpreters, and there was enough. It worked out. But, like, the curriculum that we wrote, like, ran out in two weeks because, like, I just didn't, like, I didn't put enough information in there. Um, so I was like, oh, my God, we're already done. So, like, I was, like, digging deep and trying to categorize the knowledge I had built for myself all these years in a way that I could communicate. Wow. And that that honed my skills um, because I had to like, you know, it wasn't just a box full of information. Now there was, it was compartmentalized. I knew how to explain it. I understood why things worked and things didn't, whatever. Um, but having to communicate it in a, you know, in a situation that had no other choice because they hadn't had any teachers at the schools until I got there. And they were expecting like an old man from Disney to show up, one of the nine old men to show up. And I'm like, doopy doop, super pale red hair, wearing a cowboy hat coming off the plane. Um, but, so the teaching and being in India, all that around um, was a pretty intense part of a career. Again, not what you'd expect, not what I envisioned reading that animation book back in the day, that I'd be in India, you know, with goats, limousines, and teaching animation. Because I was living in like a Bollywood neighborhood um, with Bollywood producers. Um, oh my goodness. I feel like we could have a whole chat just on here. We could. There's, there's a lot of that. Uh, is, the, is the school still running there? The school is not running, but... Um, a lot of the the my teachers since a lot of my students either working at studios uh, started their own studios. One of them worked on the won an Oscar for working on the Tiger of Life of Pi. Oh wow! Um, so they're all still. I still talk to a lot of them, a lot of my students, um, and so most of them are pretty successful. Um, that's so that's like that's also like very encouraging to like know that like you know even though I was teaching those basic knowledge like I. I was able to share that somewhere. So that's where I sort of got that bug of like sharing the information that you build over the years. Sorry, I'm rabbit holing. That's, uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, uh, I also, I'm also wondering what was kind of like, why were students coming to the school in India? If it was just like this startup new thing, were they kind of similar stories to people here where they saw animation on TV and wanted to do it? And yeah, it was just, yeah, it was like to get it. It was a a job in art, you know, and it was a, you know, and in some ways, you know, it might have been false advertising or it was like a way to get to Hollywood. And like, I wasn't in Hollywood. I don't know why they're telling you that. But I think, yeah, the the Tinkerbell does. The you know, animation does have its magic to it. Um, and those of us that do it and get into it and stay in it uh, have some connection to it. Um, so I think it's, that's one thing I like about it because I've done things in India, I've done things in Mexico. Um, and it's the same sort of when you find that enthusiasm for a craft that you've spent so much time with, it's uh, encouraging. That's really uh, incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, so I got to show, I made it to two things on my list. Back, <laughs> back to career highlights. Okay, first, so job, <laughs> India, uh, working at Calabash Animation in Chicago, which was a studio that was weird. They were doing, they were known for doing all the Lucky Charms commercials, Tricks Rabbit, Toucan oh, Sam, yes. like all those sort of icon Saturday morning serial commercial characters. And the quality um, and the caliber of it was really high. Yeah. Uh, so like that even boosted my, because we were shooting on ones, we were... Um, uh, you were, you were animating there, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah, I was animating. Um, so every, like, when, every, I, when I watched like Saturday morning cartoons and like Toucan Sam comes on, that was you? Back in the day, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not just me. I mean, like, you know, well, well, one of you. I probably have touched it, yeah. Um, 
so that was, you know, everyone in Chicago who was doing that kind of animation um, went through the doors of Calabash. Um, there's, you know, and they're still there. They're still going strong. Um, still friends with a lot of people there. Um, but that experience of like, because I went from television animation to commercial animation, where suddenly like budgets were higher and yeah. you could redo a scene a couple times, um, versus like you got to get it out because we're losing money on TV if you don't get that scene done. But like the same budget for 30 seconds. You can finesse a scene and work with some really talented people to see how they're finessing a scene. So again, it was like another um, jump up in craft. Uh, my drawing skills just got really good at that time. Um, so that was like, that, there's a lot of other Chicago stories, but that's sort of where I ended up in Chicago. Um, and then Wendy and I moved back to, moved up to Minnesota where she's from and we lived in her sister-in-law's basement for a while. Um, right, so you, you're like, Pretty successful animators living in Chicago, and you decide to uproot back to yeah. your sister-in-law's basement. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, being around family a little bit, and wanted to try that again. Um, okay. And uh, did you feel like you were throwing away some of your career? Or it was it was, it was a little scary for sure. Um, but at this point, like so many weird things had like ended up in my path, that whole trusting your sort of gut thing is like, I can figure out wherever I go, I yeah, can figure yeah. this out. And um, also, cause like, you know, I liked being around Wendy. Um, and that's, I have a big thing about like the people, that, that core group of people that you're around staying connected to them matters too, as much yeah, as their yeah. career does. Um, cause when the career sucks, it's nice to have those people around. Um, and when they suck, then what? <laughs> well, then <laughs> you have to be flip, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you just you can bounce back and forth, or you just have to have good judgment in people. Um, so moving up, living in my sister's basement in the suburbs of Minneapolis, um, and then realizing that like all of the connections I had made, all my jobs had been like word of mouth. Like I really I had like one interview that whole time, um, yeah. that first ten years or thirteen years in Chicago, um, and it's still how the community is in general. Like it's not very, it's big but not very big. It's you're usually two, three people removed. Um, so being in a place where no one knew me, knew what I was capable of, knew my history, um, I had to like get that word out there, but I was living out of the city, the twin cities without a car. You know, it was, it was, uh, we were still doing stuff for Calabash. I was working on a friend's film for like, we made like $14,000 one year working on a short film and that was it. Um, so it was like, like having to start from scratch a little bit. Um, and also, uh, even up to this time, I was still like working on paper um, and slowly getting myself into digital. I didn't learn any of it in college because um, they, again, like they were just transitioning to digital stuff and it really wasn't there yet. Um, so I was uh, teaching myself Flash and I was, you know, learning that stuff and telling clients like, sure, I know how to do that. And just trying to find any kind of animation work. Um, locally and just like getting to know who's here and trying to get into the city as much as possible how, did, how did you actually do that though because you said you're out of the city don't have a car yeah how did you how did you connect with people or even studios to get that work um i uh found out who they were and i did a lot of cold calling and showing up um, like hello this is mike uh yeah. i animated a commercial you might have seen a couple of years yeah. ago <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, you get to the animation community, and then people here in the animation community go, like, oh, yeah, we know Calabash. 
okay. You know, because General Mills is based here, which is General yeah. Mills was a lot of the characters we did. So again, community is small, and but it was just like introducing myself to what was here, who was here, um, but also um, you know trying to find some freelance work. Um, Wendy had to, because two of us doing animation, freelance animation, was not a way to like get out of a basement. Um, so uh, Wendy, who can pick up pretty much any skill, moved into um, marketing for a while, um, then worked at a science museum for a while until she came back to animation. Um, anyhow, that's a that's like sort of <laughs> the arc of the whole thing. But coming back to the how I found the work, it is cold calling, meeting those people. Uh, finding out who the studios were in town, going to MCAD, going to Art Institute, trying to get some teaching. I did that, getting teaching jobs there, and just trying to infuse myself into the community. Would you um, say that still works today for, for people or yourself? Just if, like cold calling studios and... and I have stuff? no problem with it. I mean, you know, you can, like anything, you can go too far and be obnoxious about it. But I think if, if you don't, if you're not coming in asking for something, like you're like, I want a job, if you're just like, uh, here's who I am. This is what I do. Uh, I'm in town. Would like to know what you, more about what you guys do. You're not non-invasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's informational interviews are. I tell students that all the time. Like uh, an informational interview uh, is a great thing to try. And it's if the person doesn't give it to you, then you probably don't want to work around that person anyhow. Because yeah, I I am happy to do that for people, and I know a lot of people that are. I mean, it's we're all busy and we all have time. But if that's all you're asking for, sure, I'll give you some you know, insight, I'll let you know, because if people know your name and they find out you do good work, that's how you get work. You know, it's not a job listing thing as much. I've, like, again, my entire career, two interviews, I think. Um, you know, I tried to get other work. Uh, I was a school photographer here for, uh, for a while for Life Touch Photography, and it was awful. No, sorry, Life Touch, but it was awful. You mean uh, wait, you were you were like taking pictures of graduation photos? Yeah, 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 wagon oh, wheel. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Till your head. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. But you couldn't touch them because, like, you know, that rules had changed at that point. So, like, do this and like, and, and I took a lot of like senior high school pictures where seniors didn't want to be there. Um, anyhow, it was miserable. A lot of team building exercises that in uh, in a world that I don't like. Uh, <laughs> um, but that was like, I, but I need to make money. Um, yeah. But I had one in that time. I I went to the training. I worked at Life Touch for a month. I had one thin, thin opportunity for freelance animation work, and I was like, "Sorry, Life Touch, I gotta quit. I got this freelance gig that I'm doing." And I and the, the gig never came through. Oh but, what? But it was enough for me to take the, the chance and like I cannot. I don't know how to do anything else, um, and I can't go out like this. <laughs> So how did you end up getting the ball rolling again where you were at a comfortable place with your, your um, animation career? Um, that's uh, when I got hired at Puny Entertainment. Um, as a, Well, it started out as part-time, then I ended up becoming the animation director. So that was just through like, starting to know who was who, who was hiring. Man, and as soon as someone hires you, you just, you just work your way to the top. <laughs> Intern, sure. lead animator, yeah, <laughs> part-time you know, director. You insert yourself, um, but you have to back it up. Yeah. That's it. You know, like it's you. It's you can be. You know, there's a there's a tendency maybe for animators to be timid, not outward going, um, but you know, fake it for a little bit just to get out so there. So, would you attribute what you just said to how you worked? I mean, worked your way up. It depends on where you want to go with your career, but. Uh, what you just said, being outgoing and not timid, and and I guess 
being unafraid to approach people like you know i think there's more forgiveness of people like like they come in like you're an artist and you're like maybe you're not that super articulate but they'll, they'll be like okay fine it's animation it's cool so you came in part-time and you said hey i want to make this full-time and somebody was like yeah sure yes for this job it was for ed puny it was great because they were the only people in town that wasn't doing advertising or medical animation like um, that's the, there's a lot of animation. There's one commercial studio uh, called Real Works that was they weren't really hiring anybody. You know, that's 3D had take was mostly what people wanted to do. But in town, there's a lot of motion design, motion graphics, medical advertising because there's big advertising agency here, big corporate headquarters, Target, Best Buy, what have you, yeah. General Mills. Um, but I was still like at heart a character animator, and so Puny was made up of a lot of like comic book artists, uh, illustrators, a uh, couple animators, uh, and um, they were, and also people that were making games. It was a small little, you know, boutique studio, but they were doing the most interesting work in town, hand-drawn stuff. Um, so I got to know them through like art crawls and stuff where like the art community let you come into the studio and I got to meet them a couple times. And I, you know, at that time was making some digital work, working in Flash, doing some tests. For different people and so i was like here's my current reel can i come work part-time they said sure because there wasn't a whole lot of character animators in town hmm. um you know and because there wasn't a lot of opportunity opportunity for character animators in town um but i had a unique experience i was in uh, characters that people knew and you know that were nationwide known characters so i had a handle on that stuff and they were doing some general mails work but they were just doing interesting character-based design-based stuff so i always wanted to be in that environment and that's where, you know, that's, I ended up being there for like nine years, um, probably longer than I worked anywhere in Chicago, now that I think about it. Um, but that was, you know, small studio, but that, you know, that was uh, the next sort of plateau. Gotcha. So at least like pits of like struggle, success, struggle, success. <laughs> so uh, how are you feeling these days? Uh, fine. Fine. <laughs> So maybe maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about danger and eggs and how that whole story happened. I, if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, um, there's just an egg looking extremely worried, staring at you from the background this entire time. You have this giant blow up, life size uh, <laughs> character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Philip's great. He's technically six foot three. Um, oh wow! Well, so let's that's, chat yeah. about how it came to be because I know. You had the idea for something like six years or something before it actually. It was six years of pitching it. Um, six years of pitching it. Yeah. So it's. Let me think about how this whole thing plays out. Because um, Danger, like, I'll, I'll just throw this back to that list. Puny and Danger and Eggs were the next two things on my list. So. Ah, uh, uh, hey. Because it happened through. It's on your list just naturally here. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's all it's all flowing right now. Um, yeah, I had uh, been thinking about the character uh, before I ever worked at Puny of just Philip. It wasn't Danger and Eggs, it was just Philip the Safety Egg. Just this idea of I wanted to do a character that was um, driven by, not driven by, but like constantly facing his fears. And he was very, you know, excuse me, fragile and neurotic. And um, it also fit the philosophy of funny shapes doing funny things. It just sort of like, so why SpongeBob is successful. He's, you know, but I believe like that's the success of a good, of the basis of a good character, funny shapes doing funny things. Um, but uh, a fragile character that had to deal with his own fear all the time and, but he was prepared. Um, so I had this character for a long time and drew it 
uh, tried to come do different things. It tried to make it in 3D with some local 3D artists. Um, just uh, a character that struck a nerve with me because it's very much based on me. Um, and working at Puny, um, they wanted to, so Shadi Potosky and Vincent Stahl, who owned Puny, uh, and Shadi Potosky, you'll see, is the co creator of Danger and Eggs as a show. So they wanted to make a, sh uh, a short, because at this time we were doing, you know, at Puny, we were doing a lot of, um, uh, we were doing games, but we were also doing a lot of story based stuff. Um, and we were doing stuff for Cartoon Network and working, doing Yo Gabba Gabba's animation. Um, and so this like entertainment character stuff was what Puny really wanted to do. So they did a collaboration between Puny and an improv group in town called Splendid Things. And the idea would be that everyone in the studio would pitch an idea to Splendid Things. They would pick it and they would improv a script and we would animate it and that would be the story. Oh, wow. That's kind um, of fun. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a great experiment, and so I was like, well, I guess I should bring Philip in. Like, this is I've been you know, I haven't been able to make it do go anywhere else, so I'm gonna put together a pitch here, um, and uh, the splendid things liked it. They were drawn to this idea of uh, Philip, this giant paranoid first aid master egg, um, and uh, so we made this short. Um, Character evolved a little bit where working with Shaddy and um, with, um, I'm forgetting his last name now, Will Shepard. He was a writer on Dr. Katz. I remember that show, Dr. Katz, like the Wiggle Vision, Squiggle Vision, um, sort of comedians doing therapy animation. Uh, super funny dude. But working with them to like, I, you know, I was stuck with, with Philip as a character. Like, how do I make this bigger? How do I make this to a world? And then in those creative sessions with Shetty and Will was why not make Philip six foot tall like a sports mascot and then the chicken that he lives in because at this point he was literal egg size the chicken he lives in is like Godzilla sized chicken um, that tramples the city as he comes through so he feels obligated to go out and perform first aid and help everybody so that suddenly opened up what the show could be still no DD danger still no danger part of the danger and eggs just egg part just Philip part um, so that's all we pitched to the improv group and we just put him in a puny, built a sound booth in the basement. Um, and we just, that was the basic premise and we gave him a day to just improv stuff. And we, uh, one guy at puny edited together. Uh, they worked with the group to edit together a basic story, <laughs> I guess. Um, and we went from there and I started storyboarding it from there, directing that. We made the short, put it in some festivals, um, did okay in some places, um, ran out of money, so I was sort of the one I was paying for the entry fees and stuff because it was my right. character. Um, but, you know, it got some enough attention that it was viable. Like, oh, yeah, that is a pretty funny character. Eric Noble, who's the voice of Philip then and now, uh, who's part of this improv group, the original improv group, is still the voice of Philip. Because oh, nice. he was, like, 120% perfect when he first voiced Philip. Like, it was exactly the voice I'd heard in my head all these like so 2003 was like the first sketch i did of philip um and i've always heard this voice i don't know how it was again uh, you just got to trust these things that fall in front of you i guess um so the success of that and then puny like pitching was sort of part of the business plan for for puny um at that point um uh vincent was running the office in 
Minneapolis, and then Shadi opened one up in LA just to sort of be in the circle of LA and be, get those meetings and like you know that hear that word of mouth that comes down um, and be able to sh pitch stuff to the actual people and not just some weird pitch competition or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so pitching was always sort of a part of Puny's grand plan. Um, Danger and Eggs eventually was the one that got that hit and got greenlit, but it failed for six years. Um, people couldn't, like, a neurotic egg, could that carry a show? Um, they were, it was iffy. It's like pitching a show, you know, our pitches were like paragraphs upon paragraphs of information. Um, and then you realize, like, no one's going to read that. And, you know, you yeah. just, like, the idea so did, of... Like, did you refine the pitch over those six yeah, years? Yeah, we refined yeah. the pitch. We added D.D. Danger as a character based on, I think it was Cartoon Network? Our friend over uh, Kevin Lee over at Cartoon Network, I think, uh, was like, if if he had like a if Philip had a friend or a buddy to sort of they could play off of each other, you yeah. might have better luck selling the show because like this ice like a neurotic lead alone in the world as a character was like people couldn't see it. They're like, yeah, very funny character. We like the idea. Is it a show? I don't know. Are we looking for that kind of show right now? I don't know. It's all about timing and who the executive you're talking to, but. So that did, did CUNY just have like a whole bunch of pitches that they had in like a stack and every every time, you know, they had a conversation with someone, they were like, and there's also danger in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's that's uh, one thing I learned and something I still do is always have more than one. Like no pun intended, but all eggs in one basket is not good. Right. Because it's like there, whatever reason someone doesn't like an idea, um, you, you don't know what it's going to be like I last one time I was in LA and I uh, was trying I was pitching somewhere and they're like please don't tell me you have anything about a Yeti uh, we have seen so many Yeti stories this year and I've seen three this week if you show me a Yeti story and if I had only a Yeti story I'd be screwed yeah um, exactly so it's it's I've learned that in pitches it is a good idea to like have a couple in your back pocket because you know what if they're not looking for a comedy what if they're looking for sci-fi adventure shows what if they're you know which we had um, cause it's, it's fickle of what's going to get picked up when, um, you know, like the stars a lot of times have to align no matter how good your pitch is. See, I've, I've also heard maybe not competing, but like different advice where the thing you're pitching, you have to appear like you're all in on this and this is your baby and like you're devoting all of your energy into this versus I have a library over here of, <laughs> of pitches. Yeah, I think there's, about. you can certainly lead with one. Because um, yeah. it's, I mean, it becomes clear what you're the most passionate about. But I think it's there's something about having the you 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 lead with the thing that you're the most passionate about, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something about having other stuff shows that you're a maker and that you're a storyteller and that you can do this like you're not a one trick pony, I guess. Um, so it's it sort of shows you as a creator and as a uh, an inventor of ideas like you're like you're this isn't it. This isn't all you have. Um, but you still like, you know, the, the passion that we had for danger and eggs obviously came through eventually. Um, but it was by the end, our pitch was like, there might've been 50 words in it, uh, yeah. mostly artwork and little Philip phrases. He was saying, uh, episode lists, um, and then who we were as creators, like, cause it is about knowing you as a person, not just the idea for a network to like, we have to spend time with these people and like, what are they gonna like to work with? So there's so many factors I just didn't anticipate, like, you know, but I drew this awesome egg, why won't you make a show? <laughs> um, it makes me laugh, doesn't that count for something? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, it does count for something, but not everything, because you know. Uh, so if, if the they're going to throw a lot of money at it, so like you know, if they can't see it as a show. So if the initial idea of the neurotic egg never changed, like the idea at the core was always there, what was the final selling point that, you know, got it picked up? I think it was a simple pitch, the addition of Didi, um, and the prior work we had done leading up to that. Because I think that six years, then like even though it was getting turned down, we were still doing like two-minute shorts for Nickelodeon's summer shorts program. We were doing... Uh, storyboards for Disney shorts so we were learning how to do a show and honing our craft and maybe that's part of it sort of like testing the waters with us as a small studio Um, because the fact that we even produced this this series is crazy Um, but we we are honing our craft not now like uh, earlier I was talking about honing the craft of being an animator now it's of telling us making a show working with the team doing the whole pipeline Um, so I think Everything started like we clearly had a good track record. We were doing some pretty interesting stuff. So like people were talking about us in L.A. Um, People saw the development of the pitch. Like we went back to the same people in the same studios. When they see that you're taking their advice a little bit, you know, you don't have to completely kowtow to anybody. But they see that like because they're not giving you advice just to be jerks. Like they're just telling you what works and what doesn't. And if your ego is too high to like, no, it's all or nothing, you know, maybe you'll get it picked up by somebody and or maybe you'll come into a bunch of money and make it yourself but seeing that you didn't give up seeing that you developed the idea and then finally came like the the characters really clear the dynamic between philip and Didi finally made sense because we had to invent Didi, um and philip was such a big personality how do you match that and how does that dynamic work and we were figuring that out through season one but Didi's basically the opposite of philip right it was like like what's the first thing you do opposite fearless and fearful and that was um enough and writing the backstories of of Dee, Dee. so see that that advice was good the a pair because they can sort of bounce off each other yeah can, you know the there's a sounding board um character relationships and dynamics are super interesting it's you know it's the odd couple it's tom and jerry it's you know right, right, right. It's, so, sometimes when i come up with an idea for something like a show or whatnot i have everything like so solidified in my head that it's I almost have like a mental block of changing aspects, sure. like adding another character or removing it's something. Tough. Did you did you ever experience that on? Oh, yeah, Netflix? yeah. It's, it was kind of your yeah. baby. Yeah, your it's, baby. it's right away saying like "fuck you." That's I know what's what. And, sorry, right. swearing on your podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's hard to take, and it's something you have to kind of learn because like. If you you if you if that's what you want, then you can work alone. Like you can, um, more so now than ever. So like if that's how if that's what it needs to be. But how long and labor intensive and how many resources it takes to do animation, you kind of have to suck it up a little bit. Um, it's like a heightened version of getting a critique in art school. You know, just take it. Like no one's trying to hurt you, um, and if they are, then like learn to recognize that. But but do you, you said suck it up. Do you overcome that feeling and actually, like, you know, the result is better than I expected? Or yeah. do you feel you have to, still you have to that there's yourself yeah. those surprises? Um, and also, but know your boundaries. Like, nah, Philip wouldn't do that. Right. Um, but be willing to work with people that, like, you know, the idea when Philip started, he was this egg. And then someone said, make him six foot. And there was a party that was like, bullshit. I'm he's not, not, he's I, an egg. What are you talking about? Yeah. But then, like, suddenly, like, the jokes changed and, like, his, he became more awkward. Like, so you're like, okay, 
this is what collaboration means. Uh, you know, that's what when I say suck it up, it's like realize you're not in this alone. Um, but you know, had, knowing your parameters of a character, knowing where you know the line in the sand for you. But there has to be flexibility and compromise in this business because um, there's so many people trying to do the same thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. For you overall, what was the success of Danger and Eggs? Like it got made. Is that the success that you wanted out of it and you felt? Like what was the highlight of uh, this whole yeah. experience over years and years and years? Yeah, that is a good question. I wrote a bunch of good stuff, so I'm looking for it right now. <laughs> Where is it on your list of questions? Hold on. <laughs> uh, oh, there it is. Uh, define success. Um, yeah, getting made is one of the big successes, honestly. Yeah. You know, to like to know like this is a show of a character that's been in my head, you know, like made a show like that's that's the thing, you know, that's like that's one of the dreams. Right. What was um, the what was the feeling you got? Like if you think of all the highlights of working on that show, what was the highest light feeling? Oof. Was it when they're like, we're green lighting this? Yeah, that was that's tough because that is um, that's one of those things that's like the most exciting, but you're also throwing up. <laughs> um, because like the reality of what it takes to make it, and it's it's terrifying. It's like awesome and terrifying. It's a little like it's a roller coaster. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's it's like a not a roller coaster, but it's like a carnival ride, where like the bolts might be loose. Oh my um, gosh. Like thrilling, but like this could all fall apart in our faces really quick because we're not in LA. We're not. You know, we've never. None of us. I've worked on plenty of series, but I've never done a series, and so many factors. So that's thrilling and terrifying. Uh, and it's amazing that things get made. Um, honestly, the the one of the high points for like there's a couple of them, but the one that always stands out for me is once we were like green light, we got past like the pilot season on Amazon. They greenlit a full series because that's how Amazon did it back then. Like just we'll do pay for a pilot. We'll see how what the audience thinks, and then we'll go to the series. So making the series, we had this you know split production in L.A in St. Paul, Minnesota, in New York, and in Korea, I was running the storyboard and animatic team, all with people who had never done this before, all like local artists, some animators, mostly comic book people. Um, but, you know, getting the studio set up, you know, the deadline, it's just this train, once the, once the green light goes, it's awesome, but the train is coming at you full speed. Um, so that thrill of that full speed train and then I have everyone in that in my team on the floor working. I'm in my office. I'm, you know, it feels like it's starting to make sense. Um, and then hearing everyone on the floor sort of laughing, um, and like my raw ego at that time was like, are they laughing at me? Like, what's going on? Am I a fool? Is this because I had so many like self doubts about this thing, on top of being exciting. But when I went out to find out what they were laughing at, they're like, oh, we're just just drawing Philip. It's just so much fun. Like he's just. <laughs> Like they're just like getting joy out of drawing this character. For me, that was it, uh, because like that's the joy I got, and to know that that got somehow translated, and people were seeing the joy in this character and wanting to work on it, um, that was great. Because they were adding humor to him. Like Philip's got this big surface of an egg face, right, and his face can sort of slide around. And then Joe, this one of our storyboard artists. When Philip would get really like closed off and timid, he would make his face, Philip's face, really, really tiny. And like it was how far can we push that? And he pushed it as far as he possibly could. And it's like, who's is Amazon gonna like it? But it was so funny. You know, and it's like so I 
to know that you set up parameters of a character that people could play and make it even better. Yeah. Uh, that that was a pretty good moment. What do you mean is Amazon <laughs> going to like it? Do they review each episode? And they're like, we don't like this part. We don't like this part. Yeah, like, who's, who's reviewing that on their end? Is it an animator? Is it the executive? Uh, the executive uh, of that show, like executives, foster, they bring in different shows. They're sort of the gatekeeper to you know the higher ups. But there's so there was the executive who then has to report to the head of children's programming until who then has to go to you know there's a, still a chain of command within Amazon to deal with. Oh man, the pilot went all the way up to not Bezos but to um, Roy Price. The guy that was running Amazon Studios before he got ousted, but um, like it had to go. Just oh my to gosh! Bring and if and somebody then, along the way is like, "I don't like how small this face is," then it goes back to you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like refining the notes process was was something else as well. Like having a good producer that was helping me do that. Um, he had never worked in animation before either, but he had worked on a lot of stuff and was just comfortable in stress situations so but how yeah do you know how do you know when the right time is to push for something like if you are you really yeah. believe in that joke like having a for example the small face yeah would that be something that you would push and say no this has to happen yeah you have to sort of it's a pick your battles sort of thing and like learning that on the job um and it's you know because things could get cut because the the standards and practices people are nervous because we're going to get sued that could make a joke go bad um, not just someone not liking, but you had to sort of the direct the episodic directors what their instincts and what was funny to them had to report to me. Um, then Shadi and I had to review that, and that had to go to Amazon. So there were many things to go through, um, and we you had to sort of systemize the the notes and say, here's our first cut of the animatic. We need notes back by this day. We promise a two day turnaround. Oh, you have to promise that the two-day turn on notes, and we promise we'll get the notes executed by the end of the week. So, uh -huh. like, like everyone, the deadlines do not fluctuate uh, in a series. Like, they maybe they do in other series, but like we did not. Um, it was we had two teams running. We were doing two episodes at a time. Um, we were, you know, inventing things as we went along. But um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? The question was about it was about how to know when to push. Yeah. Oh, no, things, yeah, right? it's 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 again a little bit of gut instinct stuff and like going to like if my director thought what an idea was funny and I would go to bat for my director and say like I think it's funny. And so like it's uh, I would support that. Um, and then there's compromises like you get a list of notes, you do the feedback session, um, someone types all those notes out, someone time codes all those notes out and we're like not do There's no time for that. Easily we can do that. We can do that. Um, that won't work, but what if we do this? Like, that's how we would like, uh, like this is how we're going to solve them before we do them because it could be endless. And there oh could be endless I almost, I almost feel like uh, it would, like TV shows maybe and would push boundaries more to be a little bit maybe more entertaining if it didn't go through so much, you know, yeah. so many people or whatnot. Like, is that is that, that a detriment to no, it or is it actually it can be? It can be. Yeah, I mean, if you get, like, the decision-maker being, you know, if it's Gennady Tartakovsky is the decision-maker, he's the last word out the door, then you're going to get something different. Um, you just sort of have to, you know, balance your instinct of, like, I really think this is funny and this is exactly what this character would do at this moment. I really think this should this is what we should do. Or what you're asking is going to completely negate something that happens in Act 3. 
And so mm-hmm. maybe they're just not thinking about it long term because like if you make Philip say that, then this joke makes no sense later or whatever. Right. Um, so it's a bit of compromise. It's a bit of like uh, I'll you know I'll fight for these couple things. Sometimes you throw in a red herring, um, which is just like something obviously bad. Like that's the wrong character, and then you fix that, and everyone feels happy. Um, and you've already made the change, anyhow. That's a good, <laughs> parents are great tricks, by the way, with client work. Um, throw in one something office. wrong on something purpose. Very so. obviously wrong. Let them call it out. Compliment on how observant they are. Uh, everyone's happy. And Don't they feel like you're not paying attention if it's so wrong, though, or do they, they feel special that they caught it? My experience has been they feel special because you know, they are. But it's uh, that's again another sort of side tactic. But right. you, it's again, it's compromise, it's management of you know the workflow, personalities, the, it's the timeline, the, the ever pressing timeline. So you sort of learned um, to when to push um, yeah. and when not to push. What was worth the time? Like we had episodes that we took out of our order because it just wasn't working, and we finished it later. Because we had to move, we had to we had to move the order of some episodes um, because we were just hitting brick walls with some things. So, um, so you were the supervising director mm-hmm. on this show, but how? Like you never had experience before as a supervising director. Uh, well, my as animation director at Puny, I was technically that. Okay, okay. Because I, I was just wondering, like, yeah. say for instance, you know. Uh, if I get a show picked up, do I automatically become Not automatically? We like we, how does that work? Because because it's like you hear stories where like Pendleton Ward is like yeah. uh, at Cal Arts and then gets Adventure Time made, and now he's yeah. a director of you know a showrunner of Adventure Time. So like how if if somebody pitches a show and it gets picked up, uh-huh. what is their usual involvement with that show? Depends or how on, this, yeah, it depends on their you know if. Depends on your skill in the industry. If you're like, you know, you wrote this great idea, but you're not the animator and you have never directed any animation, then you're not going to be supervising director, probably. So it's still up to the studio to decide, like, in their best interest. Yeah, to... I mean, it was was interesting because like, it was Puny was the studio, was the production studio. Right. And so that's you know, been there nine years. Yeah. So, um, and I used to working with other animators on a team, but this scale was very different of and multiple locations. So. I mean, I actually started out just like I was I was a uh, episodic director and I was doing storyboards for one of the episodes and my friend Vince was doing another one. And it was like I had to keep my eye on everything, like all the episodes I had to review. I had to work with the animatic editor on everything. I had to work with the character designer because they were designing characters that looked like my characters, but I never had to explain that before. And um so it was, uh, we're trying, you know, as the scripts are coming in, so there's a lot of stuff that I had to, like, be aware of and, like, get and support my crew um, that was putting yeah. in all the work. Um, so I couldn't have my head down and do the artwork and do the storyboard. Um, so we had to, uh, we had to promote two lead boys to episodic director so I could become supervising director. Um, but because it was, you know, I came in as a co-creator, my chances of being supervising director, and I had tons of animation experience, and working for the other co-creator, she was my boss, but also the co-creator of the show, so we had this proven track record of making stuff together, Um, so it came down to, like, it was the natural fit. We had our, Amazon brought in Brian Cheesley, who's an animation director, he worked on Simpsons and Futurama, and He's a pretty awesome dude. And he came to St. Paul for like a month to just sort of like 
uh, help us keep it on the tracks. <laughs> um, and, you know, Amazon just paid for him to be here in St. Paul for a while, which was which was great. I mean, like to learn from someone like that, because there's a lot of sort of learn from those that have done it before in this, you know, apprenticeship sort of approach to stuff. And he just had been through the ringer before. He's been through, worked through seasons and seasons of shows. Right, so yeah. he can anticipate the drama, the struggle, the, the bottlenecking, how to like, you know, like just the idea of like, uh, we run into a story problem, bring everyone, all the, take everyone off their computers, grab a pile of post-it notes and let's solve the problem together as a way to like keep the crew energized and feel like they're all working on the same project. Nice. Um, so how it works as far as like getting that role, because I've never worked in a giant studio, I can't really speak to. But I think, you know, I believe that if it's your show or your pitch, your idea, and you've got animation chops and you've been in that studio for a while, chances are good. Um, if you've been making the show online for a while and suddenly they pick it up, you know, maybe the chances are good. But if you're used to working alone and can't work with 300 people, you might get replaced. Right. Um, and just become, you know, consultant or like it's all in the con. All that stuff is negotiable to some degree. Like it wasn't guaranteed that we are executive producers. We asked for it. Um, it wasn't guaranteed that, you know, we'd be able to do it partially in St. Paul, but we asked for it. Uh, and so it's, there's, it's any other hustle of a business deal. Uh, once you get into it, like, I don't have that fear of like, Oh my God, it's Amazon. Like, I mean, it's still Amazon, but it's like, I don't have any intimidation factor when I talk to an executive. Right, right, right. As yeah. you realize, like, everyone's still trying to just do their thing. They're like people who eat and have children and walk their dogs, <laughs> you know, have bad days and stuff. And it, there's that, you, know, you just sort of like, all things are possible. Doesn't mean they're easy. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. It's a long so you also answer the supervising director question. Um, so I apologize for that. But I <laughs> apologize. But I think if you've learned, you're like hearing anything in my story is like, there's sort of an idea of the path and then there's the path you take. <laughs> I really, I really like how agile you seem to be throughout your career and like figuring things out. That's awesome. So you also mentioned that once you're a director, you weren't kind of drawing anymore. Other people were drawing for you, stuff like that. What was, yeah. whereas before, you know, you're lead animator and, and yeah. animating all the time, what was kind of the biggest mental shift you had to take from, being part of a production to running the production and not being part of it anymore? Um, good question. Uh, mental shift is, it is sort of, um, take, take care of the crew meant a lot. And you sort yeah. of, like, I never made them, I never forced anyone to work over a weekend, which is unheard of in TV animation. That's great. If they, <laughs> if they wanted to, they could, but like, I'm a big fan of like reset because, you come back on Monday, I don't want you fried. Because right. I have done that. You know, I think that's, I've been through every stage of production that I have an, a, enough of an empathy and understanding of what I'm asking of people. Yeah. So I think it was, again, just like when I was talking about teaching, when you have to communicate a thing, you have to suddenly organize your thoughts. Um, so now Did I you have to kind of get out of your head a little bit and see like, totally. like, see the macro picture of everything. 
Yeah, uh, very much so. Every day, like, I, I, I didn't sleep a lot during the production of Danger and Eggs, and I walked home a lot. Like, it was, like, uh, lots of anxiety, lots. It was a lot. It was the hardest you were, thing. You were basically the, the egg character then. Total, 100%. Like, it was, yeah. It was the egg candle that was smoking cigarettes at the time. Um, the smoking egg at the time. Um, but I made it a point um, when I'd walk, come into the studio space, and we had Danger and Eggs on the door, as soon as I saw the logo on the door and touch the doorknob anything i was like anxious about or mad about or ready to quit about i had to set aside because if the crew sees that in me it's going to ripple have a ripple effect yeah, yeah. and like any doubts they're having they're going to feel justified in like wanting to walk away and wanting to quit and like not wanting to like you know that this is stupid um so that's a lot to take on. That's like pretty heavy. Yeah, it, it, especially for like you know having like you know a decent amount of anxiety to begin with, um, but it was important because like I you know I we were asking hard things from people um, who hadn't done this before, and I wanted it to be good. Um, I wanted people to enjoy the experience as much as possible, um, but I needed them to work really hard. Um, yeah. So, but like it was definitely I had to flip a switch on my own attitude. Um, when I was in in the studio space, I just had to. Gotcha. So you you kind of you also mentioned before that you know people were working on this show all over the world. There's like 300 people involved, yeah. and you were kind of you know you had to unite everybody with the vision that you had. You yeah. mentioned one one kind of like tip or trick was when you're solving a problem to bring everybody in to like brainstorm together. How do you also when you're working across borders? make sure that everybody's executing the same visions that mm. seems like a cohesive show coming out of your brain not like yep. kind of a collage of different stuff that that ends up yeah. being like many cooks in the kitchen yeah um i would say uh being really organized with your production um yeah. like having really good model packs um of your model sheets your props your daytime nighttime colors all that and your storyboards being almost keyframe animation to be honest oh wow like they, it's not, you know, when you look at a feature film and they, there's just loose word drawn on boards and having a good time, like everything had to be on model. Um, really? We, almost, almost every uh, little eye shift or any little subtle thing that I wanted the character to do. Because like they're, you know, Sayram is an amazing amount of work that they do. And that ours wasn't the only show they were working on. But they're just going to give execute what you give them. So if you just like assume someone's gonna plus something, you assume incorrectly, because then you learn that you get the board back. It's like, like it's so stiff. Like he's not Philip's not doing anything Philippy. Like it's what's going on here. But you had to like the, the I mean the scripts were locked or was by the time we started boarding. But you had to have all that dialogue on there. You had to have all of your notes. Like you know uh, Philip blinks twice. Um, oh. Squeaky sound. You know he's he's adjusting his gloves here and like. You had to spell out everything um, because they don't have time to like and think about what you might be thinking about. It's clarity, um, organization, and clarity. Um, and at the very beginning, like the first animation test we were getting back, I was like, because I had animated Philip before that and know him very well. Um, so all I did was like, this is how Philip would pick up an object he found on the ground. And I showed them my key poses, my breakdowns, and my in-betweens in three stages and how I think about Philip when I stage him. And they were like, oh, got it. And it was fine after that. 
Like they're pros beyond belief. Um, but it's that clarity of, uh, you know, I, I learned that note, I give my best notes by drawing over, doing drawovers. If I can draw something to explain it, it locks in quicker than me trying to like intellectualize why something's funny or not. Right. <laughs> or why like, yeah, deconstructing it yeah yeah like why a pose isn't working or like why does d look weird in this shot so i did a lot of like here's how to think about drawing her and we invented a whole system of stick figure boarding because because we had to do everything on model like i broke a little bit of what i think normally how this stuff is done but I had the episodic directors like they can do the entire thing in these stick figures like like still like the proportions of the characters but egg stick arms and legs dd yeah. is like uh you know peanut head and a little rectangle for a body with stick arms and legs so let them block out that way let the directors get through an entire episode blocked out where they don't have to think about anything but like basic proportions and staging and blocking get that approved um like i had every week was an approval um get everyone to sign off enough on the stick figure and then they could go to our lead board artist who would plus the scenes add some acting um we get reviews on that and then we would go to our revisionist and our cleanup artist to put everything on model and we were using storyboard pro so eventually we learned how to use libraries and all that and everyone was sort of sharing there we make files of good philip faces and dean faces and all that so it grows as you know the more you do um but it's uh so yeah. does that mean some of the earlier episodes are maybe stiff's the wrong word but like not as uh expressive as the later ones got if everybody's kind of learning a little bit yeah 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 but fortunately when we um released them we we mixed up the order because we did uh, all six because oh, okay. like a lot of times on tv you do six they put them out while you're making the other six we yeah. did all 26 in a, in a year or 10 months or whatever that's smart um, to do them out of order so that you can't really tell yeah 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 so we sort of paired them by like you know this is a very dd episode this is a philip episode this is a you know a fun adventure episode this one's a quiet episode so we paired aesthetically and you know just to balance that out and by doing that we ended up breaking up the you know seeing a show um aesthetically change and evolve so, so how long how many years did it take you to create this whole show to the series like the season one? yeah uh 10 months okay 10 months <laughs> yeah it was uh i mean we, there was that was 10 months worth of That's production. really fast. It is really fast. We had two teams of board teams, again, doing two episodes at a time. I, a lesson I learned from Brian Sheasley, which I uh, will always do in the future, don't do two episodes that start and end on the same day, offset them. So, like, I had two directors starting a new episode on the same day. And they would work on it for a couple weeks, pass it off. So, like, I had two directors at the same level of stress the whole time. Oh, yeah. And their team at the same level. Do, so, like, if you offset it, if you need help from the other team, they could jump over and help because they haven't started a new episode yet or they just finished an episode. So just offsetting them by, like, two weeks would have been enough. Man, but, little, but, little tips like that you never would have thought of. No, there's no way. <laughs> Come like, with experience, right? You know, Shay and I spent months beforehand just, like, what is the sh working with the with Rhonda, the producer, um, what is the structure of the board teams? How how does it usually work? What how much are we could we pay them? Because we were allowed to like pay base union rates in LA for people here as well as in LA. Um, but that limits, you know, we have this amount of 
because everything's paid per week. You get uh, director gets X amount of dollars per week. Storyboard artist gets X amount of dollars per week. Um, that's how they line and do the budget, right? So uh-huh. like, if you have this amount for uh, storyboards, that means I can hire five person per team. Like we talked about that for months. Just like, how is this even going to happen? And on the budget level, let alone creative, because we're also like interviewing writers because Amazon has all the access to writers and voice people. Um, and musicians and all that kind of stuff. So just constantly full steam ahead. And it was all this prep work. And then we would hire, like I hired my two board artists. And then I hired, next week we'd hire the, because we they would work for two weeks. And then we needed to go to revision. So then I would hire my revisionist. So there's this tapering up and tapering down of hiring of the studio, which I you know didn't think about either. Um, but somehow... Never worked really weekends. We came in on time and on budget. That's amazing. That's a, that's a huge success in itself. There's another yeah definition of success. So okay, so you know. Well, you... here's a tip though: spend the money of the budget that you're given if someone wants to make a show. Because if you come in under budget, they're going to give you less money the next year. That's what I've heard. That is that is a tip for any, any budget you get in any industry ever. Right. So it's spend true. the whole thing. Take your office yeah. out for lunch or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know. So Danger Nigs got made. You yeah. you know you. It was your baby for like six years before it got made. Does the magic wear off, or are you still raring to go to you know start a new one? Uh, no, it's. I mean, not immediately. Like right after the show was done, it definitely like I had to decompress for a while, like six months of like I'm not drawing anything, I'm not talking to anyone. Uh, <laughs> you become a hermit. I did. I was like in the woods doing volunteer. <laughs> Literally work. a hermit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was doing masonry work in my basement like building i was teaching myself carpentry to build a door like anything that wasn't animation um because my brain had i've been tapped out like i'd used everything all this whole everything building up to danger and eggs career-wise i exhausted all those resource mental resources and i needed i couldn't regenerate quick enough so like we we went traveling for wendy and i went traveling for a while you know overseas for like a month um hiking and drinking whiskey in scotland um it was, uh, but eventually, you know, the, the magic sort of came back of like wanting to create stuff and um, Wendy and I are pitching and developing a bunch of stuff. But as far as like magic of danger and eggs as your own show, um, that has its peaks and valleys, but we still have fans. We still have people that talk about it. Um, and that's amazing to me that like, so would you, would you be okay with another season? If it would happen, if it hasn't happened yet, I'm pretty doubtful that it's going to. Amazon's all constantly changing. But, um, yeah, for it being the hardest thing, I would still do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, nice. Because that's the other thing Brian Sheasley taught me is, like, you learn every – your pitch, your show Bible, like your production Bible, is season one. You learn everything in season one. There's no way you can, like – you can make a really good production Bible, but there's no way you're going to know everything. So make a season, and then you'll have some idea what your show's about. (laughs) <laughs> so now that you've you know you've successfully directed a show you also have an emmy does it congratulations also on that thank you um, does it get easier for you like do opportunities <laughs> come up more often when you're in a room with producers yes that, do they give you more credibility like is there i guess what i'm asking is is there a point where you don't have to s- struggle so much to get the what you want i guess um <laughs> Yeah, it's still it's still a struggle and still a hustle, but um, it definitely changes the dynamic um, of yeah. like 
having a show, having a show changes dynamic. Winning an Emmy for the show, being nominated for other things helps. Helps get meetings. It helps like people start, you know, knowing that oh, you did this thing, and then so the so like prior the Emmy, were you trying to like get on people's phones, and it was tough, and then afterwards they were like getting in touch with you type of thing. It was. Yeah. I was able to like yeah, like find people on LinkedIn and just like email them and through LinkedIn, and they would write me back like that day. I've had meetings. I had a meeting at. Oh my gosh, at, Mike Owens is getting in touch with me. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing is like that glimmer and shine is also short. That spotlight is going to go out eventually. Yeah. Uh, quicker than you'd like it to. So you have to continue the hustle. Like I thought, made a show, got an Emmy. Uh, uh, any network will make anything I want from here on out. Yeah. Not the case at Not all. Case. I can get in the door. I can I can get a meeting at Netflix and Sony and Apple very easily, but it doesn't guarantee me anything. So is it is, it's easier to get in the door, but is it still this, the exact same process to getting a show picked up as you experienced before then? Um, like finding something that works or yeah, do they trust in you a little bit more like oh he has the intuition yeah. yeah there's definitely a little more trust as a relationship there's like um you know you pulled off the impossible and the weird you know story of it being a minnesota-based thing and right um, so there's enough lore behind it i guess um but yeah there's definitely some more trust in the room um for you as a as a creator of a show at that point and it's um like we, Wendy and I went into pitch at Sony, and we accidentally had a meeting with Christine Belson, who's the president of Sony Animation. Whoops! Accidentally. Yeah, like it was like we we had come in for a second meeting, meeting with Karen Tolliver, and she's like, "Oh, we're having the meeting here," and I'm like, "Oh, this is a much nicer office. This is cool. This is in a conference room." We had a great meeting, and no stress because I didn't know who we were talking to. Um, but you know, I can still like send an email to Sony. I'm like. Just to like, you know, here's what we're working on. So it's a, but I have to constantly remind them of our existence. Right. Um, so there's still like that sort of hustle and like, well, we're making stuff, we're pitching stuff. Like I've So, so how do you do that? You just send an email saying, I exist, hi, bye? I, I like this, uh, no, um, that would be a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, no, I just... Uh, and like like Wendy and I are working on a film that I we talk about when we go out and pitch. We talk about what we're doing as the studio. Um, like when we first went out and pitched, we hadn't formed our studio yet. And the two years later, we had. We're like, oh, uh, we're coming to town for X reason, um, and we got Womo started. We'd love to come by and talk some more, uh, okay. and say hi. Again, still very like not asking for anything. All right, and, and there's the assumption like that. that I can fit you in, like, for lunch or, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the assumption I'll probably have a show to pitch. And then if, you know, if it is just, like, coffee for 20 minutes, then I probably won't get too heavy into my pitch because, you know, i got to respect their time. But if, like, someone... Get, if Netflix gives you an hour, then come prepared. But right. it's still just a conversation. Um, so I can definitely... It's open tons of doors, but I have to keep them open. Gotcha. I, no, makes sense. <laughs> I'm just thinking about like, for me, like I'm kind of new on the scene. I've just made this career decision like 2000, end of 2018. Uh -huh. So like, you know, I'm I'm like putting stuff on my Instagram. I got the podcast going. I'm like, how can I make sure that people know that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm producing stuff and I'm I'm gonna be looking for work probably in a year or two when I graduate school. So yeah, yeah. makes sense. 
yeah, yeah. It's just you know putting your stuff, putting stuff work out there in the world. People see that you're you know you're doing more than just your school assignments. Um, and then just you know staying in touch and people because people's like I was saying with pitches, people seeing your development, right? Uh, the means that like you uh, care about what your craft and about what you're doing. That like you're gonna do this whether when anyone gives you permission or not. Kind of right. attitude that we've been taking at Womo is like we're still making the stuff. Um, it's just a matter of like, do you guys want to pick it up? And like, not as arrogant as like, if you want it, you can have it. But <laughs> it's like, not like, it's not such a begging scenario of like, oh, please make my show. Um, gotcha. It's like, I understand this, uh, things get made, things don't get made, but here's what we're working on. Um, and then we talk to him again, like, oh, we did some animation test. Here you go. And like, it just, uh, just like getting to know the community in Minnesota or getting to know the community in Chicago, you, you just sort of, you know, any opportunity to be in the industry, whatever that might mean, once you're sort of in that loop of things uh, yeah. and you're able to keep your, you know, your your ear to the ground and sort of know what's coming next and people help each other like, oh, there's they're hiring storyboard artists over at uh, Titmouse. You guys should, you know, so everyone's helped each other out. It's a, it's a pretty cool community, actually. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, I feel like, well, you have to be pretty passionate about animation to already be in the industry in the first place. Yeah, it's a ridiculous thing to do. Um, one thing you mentioned beforehand, before we had this chat, actually, was, you know, the idea of persistence in failure and how that's yeah. kind of applied to your journey. And I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that. So maybe you can share how that's applied to your, your story. Yeah, I feel like it's I've, I've used the word failure a bunch already. In this so <laughs> well, it's, yeah, hopefully it's hopefully it's apparent. But I think it's just the idea. So persistence and failure is like I started doing this um, presentation on like the whole journey of Dangered Eggs. Like I um, I did it at the MCAD here and a couple other places. Um, just going to schools and sort of like, what does it take to make a show? And I calling it persistence and failure um, because that's kind of the name of the game. I really feel like failure is the best, one of the best learning tools if you can bear it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it can be tough if you're, you know, being creative and uh, you sort of have open sensitivities to things. It's why you're creative. It's why you're storytellers and makers. So you're a little bit raw to begin with. Um, so I get that failure sucks and like, you know, you put yourself out there and it's not good, but you don't know that until you put it out there. There's like, you got to make the thing to make the thing. Like no one writes a script and it's awesome the first time. You have to do a terrible one. You have to do a bunch of awful drawings first before your drawings start getting good and it feels natural to you. I mean, there's various levels of skill, innate skill, however you want to put it, but it's still work. It's still practice. It's still, you know. Uh, so what you do you hold on to while you're in the middle of that failure and you haven't seen that success yet? Mm. Like you're still working on that thing and it's failing and you're improving and you know you're improving, but yeah. you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's a combination of uh, walking away from things for a little bit. Um, going to the woods with whiskey. Going to the woods with whiskey for a little bit. Um, and I think it's uh, small steps that are always fo moving forward. Um, that's If I had to say like what I learned now versus back then, because there's a lot to, to chew and a lot that it was a whole brand new environment for me to exist in. But now I've learned if I just do a little bit, I'm further today than I was yesterday. Yeah. And it's like, it's that putting everything on one thing is exhausting. Yeah. Um, putting all of your hopes and dreams onto one thing. Like if I don't do this right, um, everything's going to fall apart. But like I need to do a terrible job. Like I did some terrible flash animation before I got really good at flash just so that I can learn how to do it. 
Um, I mean, like, I had some terrible figure drawing until I realized I should really study figure drawing. And, you know, I still have to get better at that, but it's, I'm pretty good at it. But Don't you it's, just wish you could be born with every all the knowledge you have right now. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'd have I'd be richer or something, or I'd be I have an amusement park or something. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm definitely a person that doesn't. Uh, I tr pretty have very few regrets about things. Like I feel like all the sh all the things are worth it in the end. Um, but you have to be okay with failing at something because it. If you don't at least try a thing, you've already failed. If you're gonna yeah. fail anyhow at least on the end, have like a stupid cartoon you can watch that you made or like a drawing that even, you know, one drawing that you made, um, just get to, you know, just, a, you're always going to improve. You're always going to get better. You're never going to be the shiny thing. Um, I, the best, one of the cool advice I heard from, and even though I did, I was lucky enough to meet Glenn Keane, but I did not get this advice in my personal conversation with Glenn Keane. I don't want that illusion to, like we had some wisdom quiet moment together. Um, but he was giving a presentation um, and he uh, was saying that he used to always think that um, you're building your skill and your knowledge was just this steady incline. You just keep getting better and better and better and better. You know, and he's Glenn Keane. I mean, he's like, you know, one of the master people. And he's like, I have these dot, these moments where, like, I don't think I can get any better. I don't think I can do any better. I think I've, you know, I've hit a rut. He learned that it's all about steps. It's like a plateau. Like, you, you, I want to get into animation. And they're like, ooh, I got that first job. And then you plateau for a while where, like, things don't improve. And then you hit a wall and you're like, God, I'm never going to get better. I'm not, you know, and you keep plugging away. And then suddenly something clicks and you're up to that next step. So this sort of step series of improvement and long plateaus of no changes <laughs> and sort of like staying in that new area for a while till you like have I don't know if mastered it is the right word but till you've you know feel yeah. comfortable in that space because otherwise that next step doesn't appear if you're not at that level if you're staying down here like those steps look terrifying you're never going to know what's up on step number seven <laughs> oh I, I totally like that illustration and it's it totally makes sense yeah i when i think about it it's like i I've realized that I need to enjoy the process, even if it is failure, like whatever I'm doing. Otherwise, I'm everything. Burnout so fast. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you said that because, like, uh, and process, like, the end result is, is can be very short lived. Like, oh, that oh, yeah. was great. And then you're like, it's already like, a, like worried about the next instant thing. moment. It's, it's a great moment. Like, seeing an audience laugh at something that you created a year ago is definitely awesome. 100% awesome. Um, but uh, the trusting the process and um and enjoying the process and that's why this idea of like those taking small steps towards the thing like you know you don't you know you want to get right to animating but maybe spend some time in your sketchbook figuring out the scene for a while first right. you know like it's not you can't you gotta do the prep work you gotta do you know your get your reps in <laughs> oh, i love that yeah um, maybe to wrap it all up, you can talk a little bit more about Womo, your studio, which sure. you mentioned a little bit before. So why did you decide to go off and start your own studio when you were working, you know, at another studio? Uh, well, um, I mean, by the time, you know, Danger and Eggs came out, um, uh, I was no longer working at Puny, honestly. They, Puny had like was, things were getting tricky. I got, they laid off a couple people, so I left. And like two months later, Danger and Eggs got picked up. So they 
they rebuilt the Minnesota office just so we can do the pilot. Um, so I was basically contracted onto my own show. Oh, wow. Um, so I wasn't working anywhere when the show was over. I had no job. Um, fortunately, I had saved all the money from selling the show and being supervising director that I didn't have to work for six months, um, nice. which never happens yeah. uh, in anyone's life. So if you ever have that opportunity, take it. Um, it's kind of, you know, never thought I'd have that. But don't go too far in it. Anyhow, what's don't the question? Don't get too again? close in the woods. You can't get me on track again. I lost track again. Well, your, your own studio. You started oh, yeah. your own studio. So, yeah, so it was um, this bug of creating uh, original content. Um, and then, honestly, like, Wendy and I wanted to be able to work together again. Um, she, Wendy was still, like, working in media. She was doing animation, video editing, all this stuff for the Science Museum. Um, but we had met each other in, in, on Animaniacs doing animation. And we have stories and things that we sort of develop together, some things we write together. But could never commit to doing any of those things because we had full-time jobs. Um, so with sort of the momentum of Danger and Eggs and everything that's happened since then, um, I felt like I had a comfortable foot in making a go of a thing. And so us starting a studio allowed Wendy to leave a position and do this full-time together. Like we were working, starting the idea of a short film together, but couldn't commit the time that's necessary. So it was really about, um, wanting to create original content, um, the idea of sort of being in charge of your own day-to-day -day destiny and life and, you know, if I don't get the work, uh, it's on me. But I also don't have to take do work I don't want to do. Right. Um, like, we're picking the stuff that we like to do and um, not living in L.A., so our cost of living in Minnesota is cheaper so we can take bigger risks. Um, like I could have moved to LA, got, you know, a $2,000 studio apartment by the off ramp if I wanted to competing with CalArts students for the same jobs, um, while I'm trying to pitch, or I can trust that like, I've got these, con these contacts and this weird outsider outlier story. Why not use that to my advantage and do the things that Wendy and I want to do? Um, so where it's about, and we started the company, um, by we're still finishing the film, but it's been two years, um, Making a short film that we, you know, based on one of Wendy's characters, um, my designs, and we wrote the story together. Because um, I've worked at so many small studios where that make your own thing was an after, not an afterthought, but came after building the studio where they got the space and the computers and all the employees, and you have to take on client work to pay your employees. And then yeah. like, oh, we should do a thing. We're like, let's just start. You know, the worst case scenario, we have a finished film in two years, and then we'll go get full time jobs somewhere else if we fail. Um, but it's been, we've been able to have been busy for two years straight doing, you know, character designs and storyboards for other shows, um, continuing to pitch and develop our own things. We're doing comic books. We're doing stuff for planetariums. So we have, uh, or our sort of tagline for the company is storytelling by any media necessary. Case. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because, like, we, you know, we're using these skills of, you know, using media to tell stories. And, like, you know, Wendy was doing interactive inst installation stuff at the museum while I'm doing a show. And now we're sort of combining those things and being storytellers in these other arenas. Um, you know, we've bid on jobs that are VR stories that we didn't get. But, like, we're, like, suddenly, we're sort of this, like, you know, because we don't, we're not, oh, we don't have to support, you know, 300 employees um we sort of can come together as this like director package and and balance our two strengths of um 
uh, what I'm good at uh, or bad at, what Wendy's good at and bad at. It keeps us uh, agile enough, but we can sort of join bigger projects um, or we can initiate projects like we we're helping do uh, develop an independent feature locally. And we did, you know, storyboard tests and some character designs and like all that pre pre-production stuff that's super fun. And then um, doing finished animation for our own projects, um, mentoring, teaching stuff, just like this community. This is where we are. So we're, we're, we're making our lives. Nice. Uh, I like career. building up more animation, more of the animation community where you are in Minnesota as well. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's sort of, you know, make the most of where you are because we've in this sort of arena, especially now that we're all quarantined, we're like remote. Yeah. And like we did a series uh, in a remote sort of way. So like I have so that you're used track to this. record. Yeah, I have that track record. Like it's not an impossibility. You know, right. it's, it's yeah. that little taste of like it could happen because it just did happen. Um, gives you energy for the next, whatever the next thing is. I, I really like how you've kind of built your life around what you kind of want to do right now. That's awesome. And that's that's also pretty rare too, so. Yeah, it's a, thanks. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, you know, you sort of imagine, you know, you're, I'm going to be that animator in the weird Hawaiian shirt on the making of <laughs> videos, you know, that's, uh, making funny faces in the mirror that's you know uh classic oh my yeah God. so just sort of trusting like where you know it's not like complete free fall it's like i'm making I'm, they're motivated steps forward but trusting like maybe it's this now maybe it's you know um but at the heart of it i'm still doing the thing i set out to do which in and of itself um is something to be uh happy about you know because you yeah. always that thing of like all like, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of stuff to actually do it is cool. I feel like the lesson learned or lesson or whatever, the biggest takeaway for me is just you kind of followed yourself, I guess, in a, in a sense over your journey. You weren't like, I want to work at one of the big studios and that's my yeah. dream. It was like, I want to you yeah. know, be an animator and now it's like, I want to be an animator on my own terms type of deal. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it definitely awesome. started out with like, you know, want to work at the studio and like try yeah. to apply yeah. those places. But when like, the city I'm living in suddenly has an opportunity to work on a Warner Brothers show and I get it, like, hey. I, then I don't need to do that. I don't need to, you know, and you sort of, you know, do I want to be in the sea of everyone trying to do the same thing or in this place where there's a couple of us and uh, opportunities are less, but uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, trusting what you want out of it and like uh, holding on to whatever you like about it, whatever is the thing, yeah. you know, on some levels, it's because I don't know how to do anything else, and this is how I have to pay the bills. Um, but on the same token, like there are worse ways to make money and pay the bills. Um, well, that's for sure. <laughs> so it's if you can do it, um, it's it's a, it's tough. I mean, it's it's a tough thing to make a career, and I think um, especially in the Midwest. But uh, I feel like um, you can kind of invent your own path a little bit and play a little bit outside of the parameters. And I think it's getting more like, more possible to exist outside of, uh, it's either this, you know, LA or New York or nothing. Oh, definitely. I have one last quick question for you. Sure. I know you're part of a nonprofit uh, that does like animation mentorship. Can you just give like a brief overview on sure. yeah. what that is and if people can get involved with that? Yeah, it's, um, so it's called Nice Moves um, and it's, um, nicemoves.org is the site and it's mainly for, 
Midwest, it's the, um, Minnesota, uh, the Dakotas, Wisconsin, Iowa, sort of surrounding states. Um, but it is a community um, of animators, motion graphics, and visual effects people um, to sort of keep to keep us connected because um, everyone sort of is in these little pockets of things, um, not talking to each other. But you sort of need that community to like, you know, help move you up and help you find out about jobs and like um, help you learn that next skill and build uh, the industry that's already kind of here, but not on the scale that we want it to be yet. But it is focusing on community and education, um, getting people the retention. The, the MCAD's a great school for animation here, um, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, but people leave because there's no work um, for, for animation here. So yeah. what can we do working through education and just like, you know, having studio tours of the animations in town, that thing that I was doing cold calling, can we provide that for people on a social level and get people to know each other. Um, like we just did uh, uh, an animation jam, a quarantine edition, um, where we just got everyone to like, you know, here's a background, here's 10 seconds, and we'll, we're going to put this all thing together um, just to get people, you know, talking and working and making stuff together. And then the other thing is the mentorship program we started a couple years ago um, is uh, whoever wants to be a mentor in the in locally, um, We'll have sort of like the speed dating sort of scenario where you just have a table and people come and tell you what they're into. They, you know, they they have a chance to research who you are, and they're like, "I'm into this. I want to do that. I'm finishing my film in school." Um, and I, you know, all the people that want to do character animation came in my direction, and I'm taking them all on essentially. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I'm doing sort of like. Um, because this idea of mentorship and, and uh, apprenticeship and like not necessarily having to go to art school um, if you can't afford it. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, there's a huge no, like cost barrier to entry into animation. Yeah, for, yeah, and it doesn't have to be because there's so many parts that need to be played in animation. And um, if you know, even if so, we're, we we like to work our way to being a nonprofit where we can provide, we can have uh, a brick and mortar place with computers and and software licenses and. Mm -hmm. train people that you know might miss this opportunity um so community in a broad sense as well um and it's uh yeah i've just been part of it for I've, i'm the vice president this year on the board um i've been a part of it for about a year but we do presentations and we do like after effects user groups and blender user groups and tomb boom user groups and just supporting each other because once you leave school you're sort of like how do you fend for yourself and um, it's not LA, but it could. Yeah. Doesn't have to be. It could be, but it could be Georgia. It could right. be Atlanta. You know, like, you know, like to the point where we go. I go to legislative meetings with the head of Minnesota Film and TV. To you know, I've employed people for an entire year, sixteen people for a year, doing animation versus working on a live action shoot for a month. So huh. get some tax incentives. Yeah. And then I, I, with the connections that I have, I could probably get a, like, at least another storyboard team started. Very, you know, nice. I'm very confident in that. But it's people like are confident in that in from the industry side. But until the state offers tax incentives, then no one's going to do it. That's why you know Atlanta succeeds. Why Vancouver succeeds. Why Toronto succeeds. You know, right. it's yeah, exactly. Uh, it's why you know Canada is such an animation mecca because like the they support it financially. Um, 
So it is about like uh, making the most out of where we've where we're at, um, what where it's led us, and having being part of Nice Moves helps keep that going. Um, this idea of hoarding your knowledge versus sharing it has always been really silly to me. And you know, being that like, if I was like, I want to be an animator, and someone's like, here's how I can help you, like that would be the greatest thing in the world. So we're trying to be that. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, um, yeah, go ahead. Cool. I was just gonna ask, is there anything else you you'd like to share as we uh, kind of wrap up the chat? No, that's a lot of things. Um, I'll say this because it'll make my dad really happy. Um, it's uh, the the this piece of advice that my dad had given me is um, to not. And he said this before I was, you know, 47. But he said, don't wake up when you're 40 and say you wish you would have. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, he's, you know, he was, like, worked for the phone company and climbed telephone poles. Like, this is not his arena of stuff. But that idea of, like, you don't want to look back and go, what have I done? So if you, something's driving you, just try it and do it. I was like, I don't, I don't know how much I can help you, but uh, do it. Do the thing. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, living a life without regrets and just like, why not try it? Uh, and I understand there's a million other factors for everybody, but um, yeah, you don't want to wake up and say, I wish I would have gone into animation because I'd probably be a much unhappier person. Cause, I, cause I was afraid. That. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're coming back to it. So, you know, and yeah, you, that's that's kind of the thinking that I went through when I, I was like, what is my what is my gravestone going to say? It's going to be like <laughs> Terry, Terry Ivo was like a pretty, pretty cool guy and just like <laughs> did business his whole life versus like Terry Ivo, like amazing animator who like did what he wanted and changed the world. And I was like, you know what? That second it's, second gravestone sounds a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, it's worth finding out what you, can, yeah, what you can do with it. And I think, you know we talked a lot about how animation being collaborative in general, and I'm learning as I get into this, like whether you animation is your thing or not, learning how to collaborate with people and create something in like, I mean, it's the world's a crazy place, right? <laughs> More than, than ever before, but like what it takes for people to sort of compromise and get together and do a thing and then do something that like emotionally affects someone in a positive way in the long run. Yeah. Um, for that moment made either my storyboard artist laugh or made that you know that kid and his dad watch danger and eggs and have a good time um it's pretty awesome it's the best thing it is it honestly is like uh all of all of the madness and struggle that's in your head had some good effect um even if it's like someone who's like i can never get into animation suddenly feels like oh maybe i can good enough for yeah, me exactly. yeah yeah well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that last piece of information. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely am that type of thinking and sharing that stuff, too. So cool, and, cool. and just thank you for coming on the podcast in general. I'm really happy we got to chat. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. This is uh, uh, fun to talk about. I could talk forever. Um, so <laughs> well, good luck editing. I'll do a separate <laughs> podcast with you talking through, for every episode. Just a live stream. Just like, and you can just check in every once in a while. Mike's still talking. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with Mike, you can do so by emailing him at mike at womostudio.com. And I'm going to include that link in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.